This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we talk about electric cars. The federal government wants new cars in Canada to be all electric, light duty, not the big ones. By 2035, that does mean the car that you probably drive. Is it the right thing to do? Energy expert and former Liberal MP Dan McTagg weighs in with a big discussion on the politics, the energy, and the sciences. On In Case You Missed It with Ryan O'Donnell, legendary Four Seasons uh, Total Landscaping will be hosting a concert right where Rudy Giuliani once stood. Plus, we take a look at a video game, how it sold for over a million dollars at auction, and are you okay with laundry? Or not laundry, depending on how you look at it. Uh, let's go through a much more easy to digest. Are you okay? See, I like what I did there when I said this. That was good. Are you okay with drive throughs Let's see, digest, I was trying to. Oh, oh I get it. Very I, oh, good. Wow. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, drive throughs are... I mean, it's kind of like a day-to-day thing. Uh, if it, you, it's, it's not usually my first choice, honestly. If there's a line and I can just go into the store, like McDonald's, I'll just go. However, however, at midnight, when you're on your way home from a bar oh, yeah. and you see the golden arches and the drive through lane is open, it's kind of like what I imagine having an epiphany feels like, just a moment of clarity. That everything's going to feel better in about ten seconds. So, mm-hmm. except you got to wait twenty minutes to get your burger <laughs> in a drive-through lane at midnight. Anyway. Well, you say that I went through uh, the McDonald's by my house is the worst McDonald's on the face of the planet. It absolutely oh, is. It is harsh. the worst for slow, and the people are nice. The service is slow. The order is wrong. They forget to put straws in. It's dreadful. Fourteen minutes, one day. Just last week, going through the drive-thru, waiting, waiting at the third window. Hey, can you pull up and go into parking stall number two or whatever they asked me to do? And waiting for all that uh, was a long time. Came out, gave my food. Sorry for the wait. Thank you for your patience. So I called the restaurant and said, hey, you realize it took 14 minutes to get through your drive-thru? And the man, I, can I speak to the manager kind of thing? He's like, yep, sorry for the wait. Sorry for the inconvenience. I was like, that's it? He's like, yep. And I was like, all right. So then I go to the drive-thru to get something for my son on the way um, to hockey because he was like, he ate a bunch of oatmeal and all healthy breakfast. He's like, I need more food. So we pull in and the drive-thru is long and I'm thinking in my mind this echo of, hey, it's going to take too long. The drive-thru is slow. So I went inside. After 16 minutes of standing there after my order was placed, I went back to the till and I said, hey, I'm the only person here. It's been 16 minutes. Can I have my order, please? Ooh, that's bad the, uh, the lady at the till, yeah, she took my thing and I got out of there. It was 19, just turned 20 minutes when I walked out the door. 20 minutes of standing inside. So to your point about just running inside because it'll be faster, nay, nay, I say. At least not if you're uh, in Cooper's in Airdrie, Alberta. The worst, absolute dreadful. I have never had a bad McDonald's experience in my life. Except for this one. Again and again and again. Got to tell you. Anyway, because Ryan brought it up, drive throughs uh, One lady in Boston, in Boston, she was a little hungry. So she decided to pop into a McDonald's drive through for lunch. One issue, though, she was in the midst of a car chase. Fleeing from police. 
after stealing a truck and hitting an officer. Oh, God. Here's more from CBS CBS Boston. The road crew had just started the day on South Main in Worcester when they heard a crash of people yelling. A truck that had been stolen hit a parked car, then a Worcester police officer working the detail. Watch what happens next. It was a woman who stole the truck, and she wasn't stopping. A heavy equipment operator put the steel bucket in front of her, then thought twice about it. Workers were stunned. Yeah, I hope. I hope I don't see this anymore. She headed into downtown Worcester with police following quietly with their lights off. 17, use caution with that vehicle. She is not stopping for anyone. Then she stopped in the McDonald's parking lot and was promptly arrested, but given medical attention. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The video is fantastic. Sends this in text. He says, I find that drive-thru restaurants are extremely damaging to the front end of my car. There you go. Police approached her when she was in the drive-thru, and she intentionally struck one of the vehicles, but went off the road and got the truck stuck in the mulch. According to police, police officer suffered only minor injuries. He was uh, injuries. He was back to work that next day. Uh, police face uh, the woman faces several charges, including failure to stop for police, leaving the scene of an accident, and assault and battery with a motor vehicle. No comment on whether she actually got her order or not. I'm going to guess no, unless right. they're way faster down there. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's a terrible car chase. If they're slow like my McDonald's, 20 minutes. Are you okay? Oh, I'm not okay with this story. Get right. Yeah, it's are, awful. <laughs> are, are you okay with laundry? No. Yes. I like laundry. You like laundry? Like you like, do. like doing it? Like doing laundry? Because I like, I, well, I'll explain shortly. I like laundry for me. It's just, I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm a solo parent here. So, I mean, I got to do the laundry. My daughter does her own now, which is cool. So no, I understand. No, I mean, as soon as I moved out or as soon as I, uh, when I was 16, my mom stopped doing my laundry for me. I think I was 16, maybe 15. And, uh, now living on my own, I understand why she got me to stop doing that at that age. <laughs> Cause I hate it. It's such a pain, especially in my tiny closets and my tiny room, but it does make your room and your house smell really nice for a little bit. It does smell nice. Folding Brandon, laundry. Do you feel the same? I don't like that. The worst thing, and we're thinking it gave me the worst anxiety here in Vancouver for the longest time was I didn't have in-suite laundry at most places. So it was trying to find the correct coinage to do laundry. Hmm. Oh, it was absolutely the worst because I had these machines that would only take like loonies, like no quarters, or only take toonies. That was always the worst. Right now, my biggest problem is I don't have a dryer, so I have to rely on the sun to dry. Oh, really? Eh? Yeah, I don't. It's, it's not the greatest. Hmm. <laughs> well, this particular story is about the uh, laundry down under. According to the Ottawa Sun, a new survey conducted by a fashion shop, Rush Order Tees, found people aren't prioritizing hygiene down under. Over 1,050 people in the United States were surveyed. 
to learn more about their laundry habits. Participants were asked how their laundry habits have changed over the past year, and special attention was made to whether there was a difference between gender and age and how people's laundry habits have become, I'm going to say lazier, lackadaisical. that's better than grosser. Brian says gross since COVID. The survey found that underwear was being washed the most often after each wear, but a surprising one out of five said they wore their underwear more than once before throwing it in the wash. No, 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 I would never. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I'm not one of those there, one in five. No, why? Yeah, there's three of us here. If there, I don't like to think about who would be the fifth. That's pajama shorts are one thing, but underwear all day, especially in this heat. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, yeah Not it's gross. Good. Okay, uh, Catherine says she loves doing laundry, but she hates ironing. See, I don't mind doing laundry. I love ironing. That's therapeutic for me. I don't like folding. My grandma, too. She loves ironing. Here are more gross stats from the survey. You ready? No. I guess. Yes. While one out of five people doesn't wash their underwear every uh, after every wear which turns out to be an average of three wears before going into the wash. The stats changed about one uh, in four when it came to men. Okay. That makes sense. Men are gross. Okay, two. 36% of people go commando during the pandemic, with millennials foregoing the undies the most at 40%. It's too dangerous. I wouldn't do it's it. Weird. It's weird. Yeah. Strange. Bra, jeans, and yoga pants are the items people wear the most before throwing into the wash at six days. Now, the bra, that makes sense to me because, you know, you see yep. the ladies, they, you know, you got to take care of that delicates and all that stuff. And jeans, I mean, you get a, you know, a couple of days out of the jeans. You don't wash jeans. You're not supposed to wash jeans. Oh, really? I wash mine all if the you time. Need to clean, to fun fact, if yeah. you need to clean your jeans, you put them in the freezer. If you want to take care of the denim, and because the dye washes out too, you put them in the uh-huh. freezer for like a day. Really? Yeah, my my yeah. good friend of mine works at like a denim shop. But yeah, I haven't uh-huh. washed my jeans in like years, and I put them in the freezer instead, and yeah, look good. Fun really? Fact. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. What is that smell? Oh, it's Ryan's freezer jeans. <laughs> They're Which, ice by the way, let the. Let them warm up before you put them on if you're going commando. <laughs> yeah, they look pretty. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. No. You'd want to do that, yeah. Those buttons, you don't want them to stick. Nope. Button fly. Pop. All right. Um, number four on the list. Women revealed they wear their yoga pants nearly five times before washing them. I totally believe that. That's fair. Fewer than 40% of men do their laundry all of the time. And 38% of millennials say their parents still do their laundry. I can believe that, yeah. Okay, all right. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I actually thought that would be higher. (laughs) uh, Really, hey? Yeah, I thought it would be closer to like 40, 50. Um, Is this a survey from 209 (laughs) BC or what is (laughs) the... Survey from 2019. Oh, I missed a one. Get the button. Just do it. Yeah, that's... that's a typo. That's there the thing is. about years, eh? You, you got to have all the numbers there. 
Mm-hmm. A survey from 209, which turns out is 2000, uh, 2019, found 30% of men wear their underwear twice before washing. And the hosts over at ABC 10 couldn't even get through this story to share it on TV. This story will calm us down. New survey finds that Americans aren't changing their underwear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Underwear company Tommy John asked a thousand Americans, and this is, <laughs> it's what they discovered. Forty-five percent wore the same underwear two, <laughs> two days or longer. Thirteen percent kept them on for a week or more. Oh my gosh! And uh, men were two, two times more likely than women to repeat underwear for a week. Company did say it is crucial to keep your underwear clean. <laughs> Toss them out at least once a year. <laughs> what? <laughs> that, I, I don't know about the tossing them out once a year thing. Come on. Yeah. Well, I'll once a year. Yeah. That's crazy. How long is, what's the oldest pair of underwear you have? 877-399-9898. That's a good question. I know. I just want to hear, no, I want the years. I don't want a description. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I have a pair that I got when I was... Oh, underoos. Fifteen. Wow, ten years old. Ten years old. But I don't wear them all the time because they're very comfortable. They're like, uh, they're more like pajama underwear. But I would wear them every now and then. They're still there. They're fine. Mm. Not a stain in sight. Pristine. Uh, Yeah, I'm probably a year and a bit, year and a half, maybe tops. Yeah, I gotta say, like a year and a bit. I replaced them pretty. Pretty frequently, actually, my big just, thing, my big thing though ahead, sorry, is no, I, um, uh, I, uh, I like really, I like the really flashy neon, colorful underwear. Yeah, that's my See, biggest that's what, thing. Because that's I don't, that's what I I say. I think I think men get ripped off in underwear. Like we do, we totally get ripped off. Like here's you know a bunch of cotton jockeys have a nice day, right? I think you know there are some fantastic men's underwear brands out there. Treat yourself that man. are like Brendan talks about, like bright colors, lots of fun, fitted. Some of them have some great support for the fellas, mm-hmm. which is comfortable too. Just saying, reinvent your top drawer. Do it. Change your life. That was a lot of info. Anyway, moving along. Are you okay? Are you okay with a reunion? Oh, what's getting back together? If it's high school, n- no. College, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, college would be fun. I'm actually really excited for my high school reunion, which is disgusting to think that it's only three years away. Uh, but I think it'll be fun. Also, mostly because I really like my job and, you know, it'd be fun to say what you do. And I'm curious to see what other people do. Uh, hmm. But. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. Reunions are, are great, amazing experiences, most times. I didn't even take it there. I took it to the place where, like, people getting back together, like after a breakup kind of reunion. Oh, like couples? Oh, in that case, yeah. no, no. Never a good idea. You know no? what my biggest thing about the high school union and why I say no is because, like, I just realized next year is my 20 year anniversary. No, Damn. 20 year. No, that's, ugh. I'm not that old. I can't be. You are. Oh. You are that old. 
An amazing reunion happened last week when a woman was looking to adopt a new dog. Here's more from WFMZ. Aisha Nieves's relationship with her dog Kovu is much like a love song. That was my baby. He'll go with me everywhere. He'll sleep in my bed. Nieves says she and Kovu were head over heels from the moment she looked into those puppy dog eyes. Literally the definition of a man's best friend. Well, in my case, woman. But, you know. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was done. It's <laughs> a very quick laugh. According to WFMZ, in June of 2019, Kovu, a pitbull Rottweiler mix, had been picked up as a stray after a car cat crashed through the woman's fence, creating a hole. The dog ran away. Kovu, the dog, was adopted to a new family. The dog lived with that family for nearly two years. But the family faced... That's a typo. Wow. But the family faced eviction due to the pandemic and were forced to give Kovu back to the Humane Society. That's when the pup's familiar face reappeared on the website at the same time the woman was looking for a new pet. He has a scar right over his his right eye. It's it's not that noticeable anymore, but in the picture that they had, you could see it. Nieves says she was nervous about seeing Kovu. Would he remember her? One look, and she knew the answer. We locked eyes, and I seen his smile, and he started wagging his tail. So I automatically, I go on the floor, I get, I like get down and get ready, because I know he's going to jump on me. As soon as he started coming, he started squealing and screaming and yelling and jumping on me, kissing me. Nieves says it was as if they had never been separated. I love him so much. <laughs> like I'm just so happy he's back. And like the song says, reunited, and it feels so good. See that's cool. Did she get it for free? I think she should get it for free. I think like she she shows up with a a photo and like this is my dog actually. I never pay to leave him or for him to go away. So I mean, I I, they probably gave her like a discount and then she probably just had to pay like some fees, you know, like you hope so taxes or stuff like that. But I'm just happy that dog is home. (laughs) Storage, yeah. All right, 877-399-9898. This is a good point. This is, sums up all of the messages about the underwear from Dwayne. I've got underwear that are years old, and I haven't bought underwear in decades. I get enough replacements every Christmas. This is the Shift Podcast. Electric cars by 2035. That was the announcement. That was the uh, That was the line. Now, before everyone starts texting me about batteries and minerals and all of these things, we're just going to acknowledge a couple of things. First of all, yes, the current state of battery mining and everything involved with it is not good. Uh, the recycling programs for a lot of these materials is still not where it needs to be. And we're just going to put all that stuff out there right now just so we can hopefully avoid that because I don't want to get distracted from the topic of what's the right way to do it. What is the right way for us to do it economically in this country that we can be responsible and we can support business and we can get into all of this? And to join me in this conversation, uh, Affordable Energy is his uh, jam. It's Dan McTagg. He is here. And um, and Dan, those headlines, 2035, you know, we've got all these uh, sort of this OPEC dance that didn't really come to fruition, but kind of came to fruition going on right now. Um, we got the price of gasoline through the roof right now and um and uh, of course there's carbon tax there's all kinds of things here 
How did that headline land with you in from the lens of what's best for Canadians in energy? Well, I thought it was a little bit of uh, politicking from my old party. Um, I thought it was uh, an attempt to try to do what the science and uh, what the industry, an industry I worked with, by the way, in my previous career, prior to being a member of parliament, I was public relations with a little company called Toyota Lexus. Uh, I've heard of they have a bright future, those guys. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, well, when I was there, they were fourth, fifth in the world. They turned out to be number one in the world. Amazing what happened when I left. Uh, but Good PR guy, maybe. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I, I see this from a, a number of perspectives, but the most important one is that it's more of a political announcement. Um, it's aspirational. The idea is that here's where you know we want to go, and we want to show that we're way ahead of everyone, everyone else. And uh, um, if everyone else can do this, we're just going to jump on bar, jump on board, double down, uh, and uh, and then look at uh, banning. I'm not sure they said banning, but they definitely want to see very few internal combustion engine sales uh, going forward. Which uh, really begs the question: Is the technology there? And the answer is. No, it isn't. And will it be yeah. there? Uh, I think uh, is uh, is really difficult to say at this point. But I would expect that uh, you know we've been toying around with the battery for some time, uh, and there are you know some significant advances. But can they equate? And do they have less of a carbon impact and emissions impact than building an internal combustion engine? I think the jury's out. But I would say right now, emphatically. Uh, cars that are run by gasoline are far more efficient and better for the environment uh, and better from uh, from a practical, reliable point of view uh, than our EVs at this stage. Now, what's going to happen 13 years from now, I don't know. But they can tell hybrid technology has been around for a while. Uh, you know, you can get some hybrids that are running on all three, you know, plug-ins, hybrid, and of course, engines. And, you know, getting two, three kilometers, two, three liters to go 100 kilometers. It'll take a, an EV 12 years to make up that kind of uh, advantage that uh, ICE vehicles currently have. Yeah, and to, for clarity for everyone who is listening, if they didn't get a chance to read the articles, it was about light-duty personal-use vehicles. So for all the truck drivers <laughs> that are saying, there's no way I can drive my truck with batteries yet. Yeah. Um, no, it has nothing to do with that. This is just me going to get groceries uh, type vehicles so because i don't want i i don't want to collapse all this other yeah. conversation in when it, it doesn't even belong so i mean there there's there's some interesting stuff there i wanted to look back in time so i thought dan what we would do is looking back 15 years and i'll give one example from our conversation that we just had before we brought you on 15 years ago we didn't even have the iphone mm. right so it was 2007 that that came out and so really when you fast forward and you look at our lives today and we look at technology and if we just maybe consider the iPhone, smartphones in general, and look at our lives today, maybe 2035 is not that crazy. You know, that's part of the aspirational side. And I agree with you that we could make some breakthroughs. But, uh, you know, unlike the revolution that the transistor radio or uh, the Internet created, this we've been toying with uh, electric vehicles for over 100 years. And there's a reason why people abandoned them that many years ago. Uh we're not there. And there's no way that you can replicate at this point. The law of physics, I think, does have a determination in how we can take uh, reliable, unre well, I call them uh, uh, unreliables, but let's call them for what they are. Uh, when you're looking at uh, emerging forms of energy, so solar uh, and uh, 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 you know, wind power and EVs uh, and that type, you are still you know, lagging behind existing current technologies, which have improved dramatically. And I would say here, 
that EVs have not improved in terms of their capacity to deliver for people and provide convenience at an affordable price without damaging the uh, the economy, without damaging the environment. Uh, they are far less uh, than the advances that we've seen in terms of the internal combustion engine and vehicles that are built, as I mentioned earlier. But uh, I, you know, I've seen that analogy before, and I can tell you with absolute confidence that we won't be there by 2035. And I say that simply because if that were to be discovered, even though it's a prototype or we have these wonderful little ideas, producing these on a mass scale uh, does re- involve a significant shift in economic uh, work, and it, it creates a problem for us. I'm not going to get into who builds batteries because that's primarily what we're referring to. But to if you're talking about the whole world going to EVs, uh, you're looking at a massive 5,000% increase in extraction of lithium, graphites, uh, copper, cobalt. Uh, that is not going to be done without significant and major disruption, not economically, but environmentally. Uh, for every pound of, uh, of uh, graphite, uh, for every pound of lithium, uh, that is uh, that is mined extracted. You have you know five thousand pounds of earth that have to be moved. So those are pretty sobering numbers. I'm glad you raised it. I hadn't really gone down that yeah. road yet, but you understand where I'm coming from. I do, and I think that that's exactly those specific numbers are very good to look at. I mean, there are some there are some pieces of light at the end of the tunnel that I see, and you are more than welcome. I mean, I've known you long enough now to <laughs> poke the holes in any of them. I'll take no offense, but I mean. If we could grow, um, I think the plug-in hybrid and the hybrids, to me, the biggest waste of energy in an automobile is actually not burning fossil fuel. It's the brakes. Yeah. Um, and I think that for me, I always thought, and this is a non, non-educated, non especially in this brain, but hey, let's toss about ideas. I always thought if you're going to put batteries in cars, use regenerative braking and then pump the electricity back into the grid. Do it the other way. That's what I always thought would be the greatest idea. I mean, so there's obviously creativity to be had there. My idea might not be the right one, but there's ideas that need to be had there with potential of hybrid technology and those kinds of things. It doesn't alleviate the battery conversation. But what about electricity in general though, Dan? I mean, we talk about electricity in general, like it's this endless resource that we can just, you know, it's kind of like my debit card and my kids. We as we as citizens think that dad's debit card on electricity is endless and doesn't have a cap. Yeah. We can pump a bunch into hydro because then it's cleaner. That's cool. But it's not all available everywhere all the time. And our grid can't handle it. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like uh, make your investment of $4 trillion. If you want to electrify the Canadian economy, part of that, of course, being uh, automotive. Uh, and light duty vehicles, then, you know, this is what, this is really the, the discussion around, uh, around the idea of net zero 2050. Uh, We can't even achieve the 2030 goals. Uh, Here, here, I I make a point that uh, if you think about it, we had a 7% drop in emissions as a result of an entire lockdown of the Canadian economy in the past year and a half. And all you're going to get is a schmeasly six or 7% drop in emissions. You have, and there's nobody driving. You have to go seven times more than that in order to achieve your 2030 goal. So I think it's fantasy wow. land and magic make believe. And it's irresponsible for anybody to be suggesting, much less the prime minister, that somehow we can get there by uh, wishing these things. What does concern me is that while we're focused on whether this is a good or bad thing, and no one's going to say it's a bad thing. Whether it can be achieved, I think, is pretty clear. It can't. But how much am I going to have to pay? And how much is the electrical grid going to have to be changed, transformed, not just on a macro level, you know, state, uh, region to region, city to city, but the generation, the local, the, the transformers that I use on my own street, 
it's we're not equipped for this yet. And that's not to say we shouldn't do it, but the amount of money involved is uh, is significant, uh, and it is uh, it's likely to be uh, one of those things where you will have uh, have nots and have and have nots. Uh, there will be people who have vehicles, and there will be people who will not have vehicles. But uh, to suggest that you can throw away fossil fuels, uh, it doesn't matter. A, an EV at the end of the day. Uh, if it is plugged in in many parts of the world, including the United States, you know, 40 to 50 percent of that electricity is coming from coal generation or from natural gas generation. Uh, not everybody has nuclear re, uh, you know, power. I have it in my old riding of Pickering, first commercial nuclear reactors in North America, but they're expensive. And unless we get busy and build five nuclear plants every year, we're not going to meet that 2050 goal. Uh, and electrification is going to be something that... Uh, well, my other concern is just putting putting all your eggs in one basket. What happens if the grid goes down because of an ice storm? What happens? Uh, you know, you get a sl- solar flare up. People think this is a joke. When yeah. I worked for Gas Buddy, one of the works that, that I was involved with, mostly the United States, was dealing with FEMA, NEMA, NASIO. Uh, these were emergency management officials, and they were concerned about a hack on the Colonial Pipeline. What happens if you know in that kind of scenario where people run out of fuel? The second one, forget the you know cyber attack. Solar, uh, you know, activity could very well knock out our entire infrastructure. Electricity, in that case, would be gone in a nanosecond. And we would have nothing to back it up. A hurricane hits Nova Scotia, as it did three years ago, um, knocks out all of the uh, electrical towers. At least people had propane and natural gas. You're saying that you should get rid of those? This is, yeah. you know, this is not well thought out. And it's uh, yeah. we can have the debate on science, but I think it's not well thought out because. Practically speaking, uh, if you challenge it, you start to you know pull back and scratch the surface. I think you'll find that uh, there's far more questions uh, about what we won't achieve. Wow, as simple, maybe too simple, but on a cold day when someone's gone off the road and you're stuck in traffic on a highway for an hour and a half, you're running out of electricity because you're running your heat. You're not going to get to your destination. There's no backup. No. So well, think of the people in Vancouver, um, to a lesser extent, Alberta, but Vancouver, who said they didn't have air conditioning because they're always accustomed to this cool, cooler weather. There was a massive draw on uh, elect uh, on the use of vehicles. People in the vehicles turn on the air conditioners, not just in Vancouver, but also in Oregon and uh, Washington State. Uh, we saw a pretty significant bill, or rather, uh, draw in fuel supplies as a result of it. Uh, I I just think we have to be prepared to look at how we live in this country. We are the coldest uh, nation by far. Uh, Russia comes close, but not quite as much as Canada does. Living in a nation that's intemperate as this country is, I think we have to make really sure that the things where the the choices that we're making are ones that are practical uh, and are ones that aren't going to destroy uh, an industry that I think is really at the heart of why Canada has been very prosperous. And uh, anybody who thinks that you can buy more, uh, you know, uh, renewables from China, uh, or uh, other parts of the world uh, and import those, including our batteries to drive those EVs, is fooling themselves. They're, uh, the only way these things become viable right now and for the foreseeable future is subsidies to the industry and sub- to building these vehicles because no one wants them or subsidies to people because they can't afford them. Why is the squeeze on though? I mean, I, first of all, what a crossroads for a former liberal MP um, to to have this stand. Uh, which is a whole other conversation we could probably get into for hours and hours. But, you know, why, why the push then? Why, why is the big push to to do this? I mean, I get it. If I live downtown and I've got a little electric smart car and the most I ever go is, you know, 30 kilometers or 100 kilometers in a day, maybe. Maybe that's the most responsible way to do it. That's cool. Yeah. But it doesn't work for, for most people. So why, why the push? 
Well, I think the idea has always been, at least since 2007, 2008, I was the consumer uh, consular critic for Stefanion uh, when they came out with the Green Shift. And uh, quite apart from the people who were promoting it um, and the ideas behind a carbon credit market, which I think most people couldn't under, couldn't even fathom, we were dealing with the 2008 energy price uh, uh, super bubble way back then. Prices went crazy everywhere. Um, yep. You know, you had a leader saying this: uh, the world is going to burn up. Uh, you're basing this policy on the assumption that things are getting bad; they're getting worse. Uh, you know, I. I've always sort of never wanted to buy, uh, you know, things on a pig and a poke. Uh, I want to make damn sure that the facts to those kind of declarations are met. And frankly, I've been looking at this now for 13, 14 years. I don't believe it. I do believe there is climate change, but I don't believe it's man-made. It's man-induced. And I don't think a tax is going to necessarily change it, much less, uh, you know, telling one uh, 35 million Canadians that they have to change their behavior uh, in such a way that uh, whatever small in decreases in emissions we might eventually get will simply be absorbed by, you know, countries like China that uh, don't feel at all compelled to going down this road, assuming this is all correct. So in 2008, I wasn't a big fan of what Mr. Dion had done. And uh, the Conservatives cleaned our clock, and uh, rightfully so, because I don't think we could articulate it. We've seen since then a rather dramatic uh, change. Uh, there has been almost uniquely one-sided, uh, you know, uh, uh, fanaticism over this issue. And uh, anybody who is uh, opposing, asks for the facts, is considered a heretic. So I'm a heretic, but I'm a heretic that's well-informed. And I will challenge people on the facts, including those who call themselves scientists, but in fact, are pushing an agenda that is anything but scientific or using scientific method. I got that. Uh, I got that exact question. What's a scientist? Who can be a scientist? I said, <laughs> and my answer to that was, in order to claim you're a scientist or claim who is a scientist, the first question you need to ask yourself is, what is science? And most people don't understand what is science. Mm. Um, I look at the, the, <laughs> the, the burning ocean in Mexico last week. Man, that was some amazing photos. Right. And I, and I said, uh, you know, responsible energy development in Canada doesn't look so bad now. <laughs> and, you know, and then I, th this, the possibility that we could live in a, like, I'm all for responsibility here. Yeah. We need to be accountable and build. Our only job is to protect the children. And, you know, it, it is so simple to say, if you want to build a strong economy, build strong children. Yeah. So we do need to build a future and we need yeah. to be responsible. Yeah. Uh, responsible thinking versus apocalyptic thinking is, is often lost in all of this. So how do we get there though? How do we get, how do we navigate this conversation, Dan? Because I mean, I don't know, electric cars are super fun to drive they are. and that's awesome. Yeah. And I, so if you're going to go buy an electric car to go buy one, cause it's super fun to drive. Yeah. That's great. Go love it. But you know, how do we navigate this now and find a way to say, okay, we can't compare maybe an iPhone to an electric car. Well, I, I think we have to realize that these things will happen in time. Um, it's the, you know, setting these benchmarks and, uh, and imposing regulations uh, and uh, doing things in a way that, uh, you know, does not correspond with reality where you start to lose people, especially when they can't afford it. We're, I think, at a point where uh, we don't take, Canadians really have a, I don't say a low opinion of themselves, but they certainly are into a significant degree of self-loathing. And I'll take a way out of the social side and deal with the economic side in this energy sector. We've achieved a lot in Canada. Um, we've taken one of the most inhospitable countries or regions in the world and turned it into one of the most prosperous. 
we've taken the development of oil sands and natural gas and become international leaders. Uh, we have developed ways of sequestration that very few others have done. The Boundary Dam, Saskatchewan being a small example. So long before it was trendy to drop your, uh, you know, your, your emissions, we shut coal plants down in, in Ontario and transitioned to natural gas. Uh, we moved away from oil furnaces and transitioned to natural gas and nuclear. My point is that these things happen gradually. But if people are going to be trendy and if people are going to be brainwashed into believing that somehow their exhaling carbon is somehow going to contribute uh, to the demise of, of the species and many others in the next 10 or 12 years. Well, man, that's just the kind of nonsense I'm not going to be part of. And I, I won't sign up for that. I think a lot of people understand we have an obligation, but we also have to be pragmatic and practical. And right now we're not being practical. We're again, coming back to this idea of magic and make believe that, you know, you can make these things happen. Poof. It, it worked in a little vacuum or it worked in a little tiny, uh, uh, you know, uh, autoclave. So we can make this happen on a grand scale. It doesn't work that way, but we are seeing transitions and those, some of those transitions are, are going to take us in a, in a great direction. We are going to use less fuel. Uh, we've already seen that, uh, but we're not going to get rid of fossil fuels. I'm sorry to say this. <laughs> Anyone who thinks that's happening is, uh, is, 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 you know, doing some, as my, as my, uh, my sister would say years ago is doing some serious doobage because the reality is doobage. nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing around me, not my sh this, not my glasses, not the device that you and I are using to communicate. None of this does not, uh, it, it could exist without the input. And we've increased, we've improved the quality of mankind. Of our of our species, mm -hmm. you know, 50 years ago when I was a kid, we were told, "Oh, the debt clock, not the debt clock, the uh, uh, the population bomb, uh, uh, peak oil." We were told uh, we were there global starvation. You know, we we wouldn't be around. And then, of course, 10 years, 15 years ago, we'd be under four feet of water. Look, if you're going to get in the business of prophecy, fine, just don't make it as if everyone else has to go along with this. If you want to make those kind of assertions, great. But uh, evidence is, I think, demonstrating that we don't need to get ourselves worked up. We have to do the right thing, but we don't need to get worked up. And yes, for our children, we also have to make sure they understand the many diseases, the many deprivations that existed generations ago have been conquered, vanquished, because we had something called fossil fuels and our responsible management of it. It's, it's a remarkable um, a lens to take. Should we... Uh, clean up plastic out of the ocean? Absolutely. Should Is there a better solution for a plastic straw? Maybe. Is there a, you know, should we be using plastic grocery bags from, from the grocery store? That's doubtful that that's the best solution. <laughs> like, I mean, there's all kinds of things we can do way better here. And uh, unless, of course, you happen to be working your resume to apply for a job at the United Nations when you're done being the Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> That's my opinion only. That's I've said that from the very beginning. I'm happy to be proved wrong. Yeah. I'm yet to see it. So all of this, though, Dad, okay, I'm going to ask you the obvious question. I mean, you're a former MP. I mean, so do I get to introduce you when you run for Prime Minister? Can I be the guy who's like, <laughs> you're going to do it? I ain't going back I to mean, that. But, but when, you, when you look back at that old life, I mean, the things you know today, I mean, doesn't it make you look at it and go, well, oh, come on, man, maybe I, you know, take another crack at it or no? No, I think the uh, conformity is now the rule, the name of the game. Uh, I came in at a time when I could make changes. I was there very fortunately where, although I wasn't uh, going to be a cabinet minister, I knew that from the get-go, I could make um, significant changes that I thought would be impactful to my constituents. I wasn't afraid to speak up and speak out. I didn't vote against my government on budgets, although sometimes I felt I should. Um, there was a time in which... Uh, 
you know, parliamentary representation actually meant something. And uh, yeah. uh, if you really had your, you know, you really had your your uh, your wits about you, you could do very well. You can't do that anymore. It's completely locked down. Members of parliament can't think or speak for themselves, except on the periphery and on the fringes. I was shocked by two things. I was a liberal member for 18 years. I struggled with the party, worked with the party 18 years before that. At no time would we allow prime minister or leader staff to come in in the caucus meeting when we had a we had to have a private conversation with our leadership and that just didn't mean just the prime minister the leader meant the cabinet ministers as well those days are gone and they shouldn't we've we've basically taken members of parliament and done what pierre Elliott trudeau senior did you know make made them nobody's 50 feet away from the house of commons and they truly are much smarter than that much better people than that Unfortunately, the system's locked down, and I, I don't, I don't see any hope in this. Uh, certainly, when uh, everyone seems to think that uh, you know it doesn't matter, it's, all that matters is what the leader does. Sounds like uh, you and I can drown our sorrows in beers and wishing for a world where we could elect somebody that actually runs the country, doesn't just run the government. You got it. It, it can happen, uh, and we should go back to those days. They were the, the golden days, as far as I'm concerned. Paul Martin, John Cadet, saying permitting members of parliament to, to speak up, speak out. Um, I don't think we'll see that again. Um, I hope, I wish we would, uh, but it just means that uh, if anyone were to redo this all over again, knowing what I know, uh, it, it could never be replicated under the straitjacket uh, that I call our very limited democracy in this country. What a notion. What It's funny that you said that, what a limited democracy in this country, because I always joke, and I say it jokingly, I say that this is communism, except you could choose your job. <laughs> That's the, you know, and I, I say it tongue in cheek, but there's parts of me that go, oh. Um, so what a notion that responsible living and uh, learning can really create some peace of mind for everybody. And yeah, hey, look, if for you a hybrid car or electric car fits your life and that's where you want to make your decision, go make your decision. I'm not telling you it's wrong or bad, but God, do we have to blow up everything? Yeah. Um, in order, like electric scooter, perfect. Yeah. What a great electric idea. Electric blower, electric uh, lawnmower, or whatever. I mean, all these things yeah. can happen. But here's here's where, you know, I look at some of the companies being from the automotive industry, a lot of them are getting electric. Why? Because of the amount of, punishment, the penalties that the U.S. government and many states impose on those companies for producing ICE via, uh, internal combustion engines. Elon Musk doesn't make money selling uh, his electric vehicles. He'll tell you that. He gets it because of the uh, uh, indulgence money that uh, other companies are forced to pay Elon Musk uh, to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars every year, the 13 others. So they've had enough. The GM, yeah. Volvo, others. I'll... Uh I'll explain that a little bit. So the way that the, the credit works is that the government in America had put on a an electric car investment credit kind of scenario yeah. where basically, hey, um, you, if you're going to build this many cars, you have to build this many electrics or hybrids or whatever, whatever. But by the way, if you don't build enough, you can buy some from that guy. Yeah. And uh, the number one income stream for Tesla, which I think it gets into markets. We could talk about this all day, Dan. The market value of Tesla has gone up on this trend of electric cars are the, the be all end all. But the reality is the number one income stream for Tesla is not in fact electric cars. It's selling the credit of their electric exactly. cars to the gas companies Precisely. who aren't. And it's that same right? credit market, the carbon credit market, very similar to that. This explains why BC is paying, Vancouver is paying $1.74 for a liter of gasoline when it shouldn't be paying, given the two carbon taxes, anything more than $1.45, even with those high 
18 cent taxes for its transit and other things. So listen, the, uh, someone is going to have to, uh, an enterprising member of parliament should take the time to recognize just how devastating the carbon credit market, unregulated as it is, is making money. And it, by the way, it isn't Elon Musk. It's the Goldman Sachs. It's the Bloombergs. Uh, it's the Vitals. It's the Trifiguras. Same cast of characters who brought you the 2008 economic collapse of the global markets have now found a new way to make money out of thin air. And they do. Yours and mine. And they do a uh, fantastic job with it. I mean... Boy, oh boy. I don't want to use the word Illuminati, but if yeah, you ever but, wondered why there's a conspiracy theory, yeah. that would be why. But that's where the money comes from to push this agenda that the prime minister and others are responding to. There's a lot of money behind this stuff. Uh, so, you know, guys like me who uh, run things on a on a, <laughs> on a shoestring budget, uh, you know, well, I can out with these guys, but they have deep uh, research papers, data, everything they want to continue to bamboozle. Uh, and the public into believing that uh, and guilting them into believing that they should pay these things. My, my simple point is make it transparent. I only had a, a beef with the BC government two years ago when they came out with their BC UC and said, there's 13 mystery cents. I said, well, it's your carbon tax. And they, of course, no, no, it wasn't that at all. It took two months ago, the final declaration by the BC government's own Minister of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation, whatever they call it, to come out and say, yes, that carbon credit has gone from 100 to $450 in the past three years. It now costs you 14 cents a liter that carbon companies like refiners have to pay. So consumers need to know, people need to know. If you're going to get fleeced, you might as well understand why you're being fleeced and who's doing the fleecing at your expense. Dan McTagg, Affordable Energy. As always, uh, I could do this all day. We should. <laughs> um, well, maybe we should. Yeah. Maybe we should set it up, Dan. Maybe we uh, set up a regular cycle of uh, just sort of batting the ball around like this because I think for all of our community of shift heads at nighttime, you know, and we, we, we get all sides of it. We have truckers that are relying on diesel and infrastructure based, and then we have delivery drivers that are relying on efficiency. Yep. And so we get both, right? Mm-hmm. And that matters so much that that we're able to make these decisions and and know what's out there, especially with a looming election. Look, Governor General's appointed yesterday. Everyone talks about who she is and her history. That's the conversation. To me, it looks like, wait a second, why is there a Governor General today after six months? I can probably tell you why. What's coming in the next six weeks? Yeah, it's an election. And get so, ready for it. And uh, by the way, open up your wallets. You're going to because if you go down this road of voting for these guys, you're not going to like what's uh, what's what's going to happen. Dan McTagg, thank you, brother. Great to be here. Thanks, Shane. Cheers. It's the Shift Podcast. It's time for In Case You Missed It with Ryan O'Donnell. In case you missed it on the radio, here's Ryan O'Donnell. Nice. That one never gets old, does it? And I love that one. Good choice. Um, I am so excited for this In Case You Missed It, particularly because of this story. This one, well, I mean, all my stories are pretty great, but this particular one made me smile greatly because it's excellent, and then it got more excellent. Decorative lawn boulders, patches of gravel, and landscaping signs won't be the only rock occupying the grounds of the Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Because guess what? The Four Seasons Landscaping is going to be home to a concert. Before I get into the story, if you don't remember Four Seasons Total Landscaping, here's the story. 
Donald Trump is losing the 2020 presidential election. He's panicking and decides to call a emergency press release. Has his knight in not-so-shining armor, Rudy Giuliani, host it. The idea is to say, hey, Donald's actually winning this election. It's all election fraud. We need to talk about it. So, in Philadelphia, they ask the Four Seasons Hotel to host the landscape to host the landscaping to host a press conference and they agree except trump's press people did not reach out to the four seasons hotel they reached out to four seasons landscaping and what happened was an incredible press conference with confused reporters and a moment where rudy giuliani found out that the election was called for biden it is one of the greatest moments in history and it makes me happy every time i hear about it shane you agree this is truly excellent it was absolutely excellent um yes uh i feel bad for the poor sap who booked it that's all i know oh yeah well he's made a lot of people a lot of money because of it because yes that lot host to rudy giuliani and the lowest slash most hilarious moment of trump's presidency will be transformed into a concert venue for punk artist laura jane grace and i'm not joking brendan kelly of the lawrence arms i am not joking there is a band and the guy's name is it is seriously brendan kelly that's a good name he's done everything he's done everything there you go i didn't know you were part of a punk band in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's on, on the side, you know. That's what I do just during the side day. Hustle. Yeah, just yeah, a side just hustle. Just a side hustle, yeah. Cool. Well, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, tickets sold out in less than 20 minutes, and they thought it would sell out even faster, but the website kept crashing. I know if I was in Philly, I would be at this. So according to that newspaper, reminiscent of the Giuliani News Conference, the concert will play in front of the Four Seasons, now immortalized green and white garage door, which was repainted with a fresh coat. A Four Seasons (laughs) truck will be on site for some selfies. There's some food and bathrooms. There's merchandise for sale from local t-shirt company Philly Drinkers. Nice touch. Uh, Some surprises, which some are hinting a possible appearance by a Rudy Giuliani cardboard cutout. Nice. Now, uh, Does it before, fart? oh, with fart and and uh, you press a button and it starts to melt. I, uh, I <laughs> want to the air dye <laughs> yeah, running down. The air dye running down. <laughs> uh, as the night goes, it's heat activated. The more the sun shines on it, the more it melts. Oh, funny. So, this is a little rock and roll. It's a little punk, but this is what Laura Jane Grace's punk sounds like. The song is called Supernatural Possession. Okay. I like All right. It. Yeah. It's, cool. it's, it's yeah, just easy. some nice modern punk. And uh, here is Brendan Kelly's hit track, Suffer Children Come Unto Me. Oh, weird. <laughs> Sounds like I'm doing a social distortion thing. Yeah, kind of. yeah. Your social I, commentary is pretty loud in that cra- in that. Track. One of the uh, coolest things about punk is that they don't <laughs> ever write words; they just sing one really big word, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> it's either they sing it like that or they overpronounce. Like when you listen to the Sex Pistols, it, I would say there are a few bands where you can hear an accent more than every word of a Sex Pistols song. Uh, I love mm-hmm. the Sex Pistols. Uh, so this is an interesting part. I always wondered after the Four Seasons Total Landscaping thing happened, what happened to Four Seasons Total Landscaping? It still operates as a landscaping company, and this is happening on a Saturday, so they have time to clean it up and be back operational for Monday. But they have sold over $1 million worth of merchandise. I bet. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. since So the phrases they put on t-shirts are lawn and order, in sod we trust, and it's obviously a tourist destination. It was also in a Super Bowl commercial. And uh, the guy who runs the place says he would love to have Philly natives like Kevin Hart or Questlove play the venue. I think Kevin Hart doing a comedy show. Can you imagine that Netflix special shows up? Kevin Hart live at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. I think that's excellent. I love it that. It would be worth it just just for the burn, right? Just to do oh, it for, just sure. for the burn. I yep. want to be the guy who sells the t-shirts for the punk show. Like the merchandise is going to be the key. Oh, These guys are going to make a mint. Oh, they're going to, it, it, what a, and smart. This is how you capitalize on something hilarious happening to your business. I mean, especially during the pandemic, they, can you imagine that how much of a boost this is for them? And I love that. Imagine you're running a company that is landscaping or construction and all that. And now you have the opportunity to completely transform it into something different and have fun with it. And your employers or your employees they can say to their friend, where do you work? Oh, I work at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. That's mm-hmm. outstanding. I, I love this story. Uh, so there you go. The, the concert is on August 21st. So if you find yourself in Philly and there, please let me know and please uh, buy some merch for us. We will, oh, uh, we will gladly appreciate it. Bring back some t-shirts. Uh, money. Money, money, money. Uh, I love auctions. I've always wanted to go to an auctioneering place, watch it happen. And one day, if I have a lot of money, I want to go to a car auction. It's a weird thing on my bucket list. Uh, But usually, that's the key thing at auctions. Antiques, cars, art. But there is a very strong market, obviously, for collectibles. Earlier today, a baseball card collection sold for over $21 million, including a 1933 Goody Babe Ruth card. Mint level nine, which, you know, 10 is the highest, nine is, you know, insane. On its own, sold for over $4 million. Whoa. A baseball card. It's it's insane. And it's cool to, you know, document that and look at that. But there's also a pretty interesting market for auctioning in video games. It didn't really used to be that big. But now we're approaching 30, 40 years since the dawn of the market. And now high demand items are there. And video games are getting more and more popular. So, with that said, when you think of Nintendo, you probably hear either one or the other when it comes to these songs. You know, when you think of the company, songs might pop into your head. And it's probably one of these two. classic legend of zelda and super mario of course right they're icons so it should be no surprise 
when you hear that collectibles from those games are worth more money. A lot of money, because this is kind of absurd. Two very rare and very pristine copies of those games went for a large sum of cash last week. First up, let's talk about this Legend of Zelda cartridge. This one hit the market, and it's interesting. Here's a little summary from Game Rant. Now, a sealed early production variant of a Zelda cartridge has recently appeared on Heritage Auctions with bids reaching an insane amount. This copy in question is not only one of the best sealed, but it could also be one of the earliest produced versions of the game. This copy is a no-rev-A version, which means it's a copy of the game that was produced in late 1987 before it was replaced by Rev-A or Revised A variant in 1988. The current bid of this variant of the game as it stands is a whopping 110000 with a buyer's premium of 22000 So, it did not go for $110,000. You know what time it is, gents. How much do you think that cartridge went for? The classic game. <laughs> Sealed. Near mint condition. Rare pressing. The question is, who buys it? Is it a young person or an older person? That's the part mm. that gets me. That's an interesting. Probably. I an purposely, older I have to mm -hmm. just say for the listeners for transparency, I removed the amounts out of the script, oh. so none of them know how much this went for. I none don't look, unlike some people yes, in this Brendan show, without hair. Does take a peek, doesn't he? Well, yeah. I gotta subsidize my punk band. <laughs> <laughs> gotta fund the merch table. Yeah, I like it. Okay, take a guess. All right. More than $110,000. More, well, yeah, I would say a million bucks. Okay, million? I will go with the classic a million and two. A million and two. Well, you're both wrong. It mm. sold for $870,000. <sighs> we went over. Well, that's a lot of money, though. That's still that's a lot sure. of money, but... That's not all. A sealed copy of Super Mario 64, one of the most beloved video games ever made, sold just a two days after that cartridge was sold and is the most valuable video game collectible of all time at auction. And? It is a 9.8 sealed copy, basically mint condition, like if you went to EB Games and bought a brand new game, except in the Mario 64. How much? How much? Take a guess, gents. I uh, gotta guess again? Yeah. You gotta guess again. Of course you do. Five million. Okay. I'm gonna go with one million. <sighs> Brendan was much closer. Still, five million dollars for a video game? That's a lot. Well, this is still a lot. 1.56 million dollars. Wow. I win. That's amazing. That's a lot of Absurd. money, man, I gotta tell you. Uh, so I just don't understand. Like, it, the, the, I, I would imagine whoever bought that probably will get it in hand and look at it and go, hmm, I could have bought a Bugatti with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing. I could, you know, if I had a bunch of money and, you know, spent a couple thousand dollars on a really rare video game or collectible, that makes sense. But millions of dollars, I would argue a baseball card from 1933 has that more six-figure, seven-figure value than a video game does. Right now, at least. If this I have was an alternative. Three... Hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, 50 years from now, yeah, but yeah. 
If I had a million dollars lying around, I would not be buying video games or baseball cards. I would absolutely, you'd be doing the show from a lake house waterfront. Thank you. That's what I'd be doing. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.